Let me have you open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Now, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, you'll see that I have been going pretty slowly through the book of Galatians. Now, I want you to know that that's been intentional because I am waiting for us to open up on February the 7th to actually dive into the book of Galatians. But I, I personally have been blessed by just the digging in of the scriptures and the background information of the area and the region of Galatia. As I mentioned here several times, that Galatians is not necessarily a city, that Galatians is a group of cities or an area in which these churches that Paul had planted and he had been ministering to them as he went back once again and established those churches and built up the leadership. And something was going on within those churches. There were people coming in saying, well, you know, the gospel message is just for the Jews. So if you want to be a part of the gospel message and what Jesus Christ has done, you first of all have to become Jewish. That means if you're a Gentile, for Gentiles, they had to be circumcised. They had to follow the traditions and the laws. And Paul says, no, that's not the case. And so the book of Galatians, actually what it's done, it, at, very, at the very beginning, when uh, the Reformation started back in the 1600s, Martin Luther really just loved this book because it freed him from having to follow all these traditions and all these laws and all these rules that the church had imposed upon the people. And Martin Luther says, you know, talking to the Pope and talking to the, the priests and those that were in charge, says, you know, we're doing this wrong. We need to get back to the gospel message. We need to get back to grace is the only thing that saves you. Not our works, but what God has done and what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross. That was the original message by the apostles. So when we say that we are going back to Reformed theology, that's what we're saying. We're going back to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The problem is, is that a lot of people don't understand what the gospel is. It's been watered down throughout the ages. It's offensive, yes. And many churches have tried to water it down to forgive the term, but to dumb it down in order not to offend those that are non-believers. Beloved, the gospel has always offended from the very beginning. That's why they crucified Jesus. That's why they beheaded Paul. That's why they boiled John in oil, traditionally is what it said. That's why Peter was crucified upside down. That's why all the apostles died a martyr's death. That's why people are dying throughout the world because of the gospel message, it is offensive. Many churches in our, in our culture, and I have to confess that I've done the same thing, have tried to make it soft so that people will not get offended. We wanted to be very sensitive to those who were looking for something. And so we didn't proclaim the gospel fully and thoroughly. And throughout the years, the church has done a disservice to the gospel message. The gospel message is hard. It's, it's crude. I pray that you had an opportunity to listen to last week's sermon. If not, you need to take a look at that. It's very insightful as far as what the gospel message was, on what Paul had to deal with, on how ashamed and how foolish and how dumb and moronic the gospel message sounded to people of that day. And so we've had a good time, I should say, I say I have, more than likely, but I'm sure you have as well, uh, by, the by the reports and people that are watching, 
we've had a really good time going through the book of Galatians and getting some background information on Paul, the churches, the message, the purpose of the message, the purpose of this book. And so today, once again, I just want to take a portion of it and expound on it so that we would be fully ready to go into the book of Galatians when we come back February the 7th. I pray that you had an opportunity to go back. If you haven't, please do so. Do some research yourself and find out what Paul is dealing with. He built these churches. He led these churches. He empowered these pastors and these teachers and these leaders. People came in and says, yeah, Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's true. But you got to be Jewish. You got to go back to the law. You got to go back to these uh, traditions. You have to go back to all these customs that we have been part of in order to be a part of this Christian community. And so Paul says, you know, this is not true. After he gives his, first of all, his greeting, his salutation, he doesn't give a commendation. Usually he gives a commendation in all his other letters. And as soon as he's done with his introduction, he starts in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 1. And he says this, I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Father in heaven, I pray that today we make a commitment and that we make a strong effort to follow and understand what the gospel message is that we do not stray from that message, that we know that it's offensive and that we boldly proclaim it regardless of who we talk to or who we are. Father, I have committed years ago to proclaim this message and I know it's been offensive. And yes, we've lost people because of it. But Father, it's your message. And I thank you, Lord, that you have protected and guided this church for the many years that it's been in existence, even before I got here, over 65 years that this building has been in this community, and you have watched over and, pro and proclaimed over it the gospel message. And so, Father, whatever it is that you're doing through this small group of people today, into the time that, until the time that you return, I pray you give us the boldness, you give us the courage, you give us the stamina and the ability to stand firm in spite of what may be going on in our communities, in our culture, and yes, Lord, even within our homes. So thank you, Father, once again for this message. In Jesus Christ, amen. So what is the gospel? What are the essentials of the gospel? It's very important to know. We talk about the gospel all the time. Well, generally speaking, the word gospel, evangelio, is the good news. The good news that is being proclaimed. That word was used to proclaim a king's uh, birth of a new son. Vankileo, Vankileo, the king has had a son, an heir to the throne. Good news, good news, the war has ended. Good news, good news, it was always good news. And so we come to use the word good news to mean just about everything within the church. And so the very first thing I want to do is to help us understand what the gospel is not. Okay, what the gospel is not. The gospel is not 
feeding the hungry, feeding the poor, clothing the poor, visiting those that are in prison. Those are all biblical things that the Bible talks about that we should do. But that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the gospel is not that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That, that may be true, which God does love you, and he has a plan for your life, but that's not the gospel message. The gospel is not that God can give you purpose and meaning in life. Once again, he can give you purpose and meaning in life. God can give you an identity in Jesus Christ. But that is not the gospel message. The gospel is not that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, that statement is true. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And we say all we want you to do is have a relationship with Jesus, not establish a religion. This is what Paul is fighting against here. And, and we tell people that's the gospel message. You can have a relationship with Jesus. As true as that is, that is not the gospel. The gospel is not your personal testimony. I've heard people say, well, let me give you the gospel message on how God changed my life. Awesome that God has changed some people. Thank God that he has done so. But once again, that is not the gospel. The gospel cannot be summed up in four spiritual laws. The gospel cannot be put in a pamphlet and handed out to people. And you can say that you've been sharing the gospel because that's not what the gospel entails. The gospel is not God's plan for you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, to name and claim whatever it is that God wants to give you and what you want God to do for you. That is not the gospel. The gospel message is not about healings, about miracles. The gospel message is not about how God can raise up an army. Those things may be true, but that, beloved, is not the gospel. The gospel message is not about you. The gospel message is about glorifying God. The gospel message is about bringing glory to God so that the nations can rise up and that the nations can proclaim that there is a God. Paul tells the people in Rome, For I tell you, and this is not in your outlines, but it's in Romans chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. In essence, what Paul is saying is that Christ became a servant to the Jews. And he served them to show God's truthfulness, that what God said in the Old Testament has come to be in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God. The gospel message is not about you. The gospel message is about glorifying God on what God can do and what God has done in sinful man. That is the gospel message. Before I get started, I just need you to know <clears throat> there are a few things that I want, I want you to know. I pray that you have a time to open up your, your Facebook page and pull out the outline that's in the docs. You're going to need your outlines. I want you to hold on to this message. I'd like for you to use this message to share this with other people. And you have to understand that when the gospel message was communicated, it wasn't communicated by great men, as we found out last week. It wasn't given to kings. It wasn't given to uh, prophets. Or it wasn't given to uh, priests or the religious leaders. As we heard last week, this message is foolish. This message is very difficult to understand. This message was a, a message that was scandalous. And moronic was the word that was used in Greek, where we get our word moron. And this message 
if it was going to pass and going to be given out, this message should have been given to somebody that had some clout, some power, some nobility. But God gave it to ordinary people, just like you and me. And so these people were not extremely educated. They were not well versed in scripture. And in spite of that, the writers of the Bible, they didn't dumb down the gospel message. They gave it purely the way they received it. So they explained it clearly. And there's some very important points that we have to deal with and understand whenever we are sharing the gospel message. And the very first thing, the very first truth, number one, that I'd like for you to fill out in your outlines. And this is a very uh, scary and difficult verse. And we need to know this. And probably one of the hardest and one of the most frightening verses in Scripture and truths in Scripture. Number one, God is holy. God is holy. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Sal. You just said that this was one of the most frightening Scriptures in the Bible, that God is holy. And it is. Beloved, let me explain. Let me ask you. You need to know. You need to know who God is because it's only in light of who God is can we understand who we are. It's only in light of his attributes, his holiness, his, uh, his, who he is and, and his purity and his perfection that we can understand what sin is. It's only when we know God purely and thoroughly, the God of Scripture, when it's only when we know that, we will have an understanding of who we are. There are a lot of myths out there about God. God will give you anything you call out for and cry in his name. God is not going to send everybody to hell. What kind of a God would do that? God is a good God, which he is, and he doesn't hurt anybody. And, and you have all these ideas of who God is. Let me tell you what the Bible says, who God is. And, uh, and then I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know this God? And have you ever understood what the Bible has taught about God. Verse, uh, first verse in Exodus chapter 15. It says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? There is no other created being in all the universe that is created that is anything like God. God is so set apart. God is so pure. God is so perfect that anything or anyone that comes near to him is automatically zapped. He is killed. As a matter of fact, that's what Isaiah felt in Isaiah chapter 6 in the year that King Uzziah died. He was ministering in the temple and God revealed himself, not himself totally, but just the, ro the train of his robe was in the temple. And these seraphims, these angels came out and they were singing, holy, holy, holy. Theologians call this a trisagion. The trisagion is the three times holy, holy, holy. And this is the only attribute of God that is given three times. God is love, but we don't hear that God is love, love, love. God is truth, but nobody ever says that God is truth, truth, truth. This is a truth of God's attribute that he is holy, that he is holy, that he is holy. And only God is holy. And because of his holiness, nothing can stand within his presence. Isaiah, poor Isaiah, he fell to the ground and he knew. He says, woe is me. Woe is like a, a pronouncement of curse upon himself. Woe is me. I am undone. Basically saying, I'm dead. 
I'm dead and I'm just, you know, I already know it because I live among because I have a foul mouth. I live among people that have foul mouths. I live among people that have these lips that just speak whatever they want, whenever they want. And I know I'm not pure and I know I'm not holy and I know I'm not even anything like God. And Isaiah just fell down and he and he cried out because the Bible says in Revelation 15, 4, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. Do you know that all nations, not just the Christian nation, not just Israel, but every nation will one day recognize God's holiness. I'm going to go on to Leviticus chapter 11, 44, which says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. God is holy and he requires us to be holy. He tells in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Nobody, nothing compares to God's holiness, His goodness, His faithfulness. God is holy. God is love. God is all truth. God is all love, all justice. Everything about God is perfect and pure, and we are not. God is so holy that, beloved, this is the most terrifying truth in Scripture. Because if we were to stand before God and we ask God for his presence and we want him to, to, to just perform and to manifest himself here, we don't know what we're asking. I know a lot of people have claimed that they have talked to God, they have gone to God, they have seen God, he's appeared to himself. Beloved, I can tell you right now, if that person would have seen God, he would exist no longer. He would exist no longer. And the people in the Bible, they understood this. In the times of, of uh, the, the apostles, they understood this. Don't know if you remember in Luke chapter 5 when the, the disciples were fishing and they come in from night and Jesus is at the shore and, and Peter is on the boat and Jesus says, what have you been doing? Oh, we've been fishing all night. We didn't catch anything. Right there off the shore, Jesus tells Peter, throw your net on the other side. Peter says, but we've already done this. There's nothing out there. You, you know, you're, you're just the carpenter. Let us fishermen do the fishing. You do the carpentry. But nonetheless, because you say so, we will do it. And right there, they cast their nets and they pulled up fish, so many fish that the boat could not handle it. And they came forward and Peter fell before Jesus and before his, his feet. And he says, depart from me. Somewhat like what Isaiah said, for I am a sinful man. You see, the holiness of God creates this sinfulness within us because we cannot stand in that holiness, which leads me to part number two. Number two, <clears throat> because God is holy. Number two, man is sinful. Man is sinful. And so there are many verses that tell us that we are sinful and we should know that God loves us so much, but we're sinful and we cannot stand before him. In, in Psalm 51, the Bible says, Psalm 51, verse five, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. 
And the psalmist goes on to say, And in sin did my mother conceive me. I was sinful from my birth. Job says the same thing. I'm just a sinful man brought into this sinful world, brought in by a sinful mother. And and therefore I am receiving what is due to me. In Romans chapter 3, the Bible tells us that none is righteous. No, not one. Nobody's righteous. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There is no good people. There are no good people. There, every one of us are, are defected. We're sinful. We are evil within. As a matter of fact, in, in, in Genesis chapter 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only continually evil, was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him. This sinfulness, because of his holiness and our sinfulness, it grieves God to his heart. And God is grieved. This is why later on Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with your sinful acts. Walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. That is the evidence of your salvation and many people say, but, but I walk by my heart. I follow my heart. You know, if your heart convicts you, then do it. You know, follow your heart into love, into passion, into whatever it is that you believe that God is leading you to. Listen to your heart. Beloved, let me tell you what Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse 9. He says, the heart is deceitful. It lies. It lies, and above all things, desperately sick desperately wicked, desperately evil. It's deceitful, it lies, it's wicked, it's sick. And the heart that you are counting and believing and putting all your eggs in one basket is deceiving you and is wicked. And who can understand it? Only God. This is man. We are sinful from the very beginning. Everything that comes uh, out of the heart, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, morality, theft, false witness, slander comes out of your mouth. Matthew says, Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19. And it, it, throughout the scriptures, we are told how evil and wicked people are. And we are so wicked that the law, number three, that the law of God requires justice. Now get this, beloved. People have told me, and they've argued with me, how can a good God send people to hell? Because he's good. Because he's righteous. Because he's holy. Because he is just and the justice of God, the law of God requires punishment. I spoke a little bit last week about a just judge. If a judge were to preside over a murder case and the gentleman was asked, why did you do that? Well, you know, I, it, I, didn't, I didn't want to, but I couldn't help myself. And if the judge would say, OK, well, in that case, since you couldn't help yourself, then you're free. The next person, you know, what did you do? This is while I was drunk driving and I got into an accident and I hurt a bunch of people, but I didn't mean to do it. And the judge will say, oh, well, in that case, since you didn't mean to do it, then he's left free too. Would he be just? Would that be a just judge? No, that, my beloved friend, would be a corrupt 
judge. And we don't have a corrupt God and an infinite merciful God that knows love and understands love requires justice. And because I'm a sinner, because I have violated the laws of God, just one, because I have messed up once, my my wrath, the wrath that God has for me, the wrath that he has poured out and is supposed to come to me, I need to give it. My life has been called for because God cannot see evil. Look at Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, out of the King James Version. It's the same thing out of the English Standard Version, but I like the way this one is stated just a little bit more. It says, you are purer eyes, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil. God cannot look upon evil and cannot look on wickedness. Look at Psalm 5, verse 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. And here's the problem, beloved. If you've broken one of his commandments, you're an evildoer. If you decide to uh, curse your mother, your brother, your sister, you're an evildoer. If you have done something wrong against God, you are an evildoer. And God's wrath will be poured out on you. I know we have said that God hates the sin but loves the sinner. The problem is it's, it's the sinner that he's going to send to hell and the sin. But the sinner which is attached to that sin or the sin that is attached to that sinner will both experience the wrath of God because God is just. He's holy. He's holy. I, I'm, I'm evil. I'm decrepit. I, I am depraved. But God is just. In Psalm 11, verse 5, it says, The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Even violent people. Yeah, I just get mad every once in a while. Well, violence and anger are sin. And when you are violent, when you are wicked, when you're sinful, the wrath of God will be poured out on you. And, and that's what happened to uh I don't know if you remember Nadab and Abihu. We talked about the sons of Aaron long ago in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 3. They were sons of Aaron and they were priests because, well, you know, it was good for the father to, to mentor his son to become the next pastors, the next priests. And he told them, he says, you know, you need to follow my directions. Now make sure that when you get the fire for the, for the uh, urns and the incense and you, you get the fire, you get authorized fire. Now the authorized fire, we, we don't really don't know what that means, but more than likely it was the fire that came from the altar that was burning, that came in to, to burn for the incense. And the incense were, were an aroma, was a smoke, and it was a, a picture, an illustration of the prayers going up before the people. Now, where uh, Nadab and Abihu got their fire, it was unauthorized fire, or as some translations have it, strange fire. They brought to God something strange and the Lord wiped them out right there. And then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord, before Moses and before Aaron. And Moses had to stop Aaron before he cursed God. And he says, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And if you're not, your life is not glorifying God, God has every right to snuff you out. Especially if you're in some sort of leadership. Oh, just one more illustration. When the 
Ark of the Covenant was taken in 1 Samuel and, and it was taken into another land of the Philistines. The people broke out in tumors and the people got sick. So they sent it to another town and those people got sick and they got scared. Hey man, this thing is killing people. They sent it to a third town and that's where it stayed in the outskirts for 20 years. When David became king in 1 Chronicles 13, he says, we need to go up and we need to bring this, this, this ark back and have a place for it. And God says, don't let anybody touch it because you will die. And on the way back, one of the oxen had stumbled and the the ark almost fell and a man named Uzzah put his hand out to take hold of the ark for the ox had stumbled and at that moment he died. Now you think, well, wait, that's just not fair. How would that happen? You see, the filthiness of man's sin was so filthy that the dirt that it was going to fall on was clean. In other words, the, the dirt, the cleanliness of the dirt of the mud, of the soot, of everything that was trampling on it was cleaner and holier and set apart and cleansed more than man's heart. See, because God doesn't want your intentions. He doesn't want your good intentions. He wants your obedience. He desires your obedience. He doesn't desire the sacrifices of bulls and, and of all these other things. God desires obedience. And Jesus himself said, don't think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. The law is still there. It's there to show us that we can't do it, that we cannot do it. And it's always been by grace. It's always been by faith. Abraham, before the law, before the law was even introduced, it was by faith that Abraham was made just uh, righteous. And so we understand that number one, God is holy. Number two, man is sinful and that the law of God requires justice. The law of God requires justice. This is my biggest problem, which is number four. My biggest problem is this, is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's you. That's me. That's every person that's ever lived and will live. That's everyone. I heard um, John MacArthur I believe, say, you know, what about children? What about the children? Well, they're little sinners. <laughs> Makes me laugh. We call, we, well, we don't say this publicly, but, you know, I, I, I don't know if I will, but our, our children are little sinners. That's what they are. Because everyone has sinned. And we all have this problem. There's something, if a just God, how is he going to forgive me? Because he's just. He has to administer his justice and the justice of God demands satisfaction. That's just the way that God has set it up. You may not like it, beloved, but that's just the way it is. And this is why it becomes so offensive. Why God? Why, why would he do that? And it's offensive. It's, it's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. It's just stupid. Well, you know, you're telling me, that man, by the way, one of the reasons that they hated the Christians is because, well, in their mind, those Christians were atheists. You might say, wait a minute, what do you mean atheists? They were atheists. They only had one God. And Paul walks into this place where everybody is debating. These philosophers, the highest, the elites of that Greek culture, were all philosophizing and arguing back and forth. We're not arguing, but discussing and talking about the various types of gods. And, and, why. and Paul walks in, this little short Jewish guy with the hooked nose, if you remember our study of Paul. And, and he walks in, he says, um, I got something to say. They go, what is it? Well, 
you guys are all wrong. He goes, what? You guys are all wrong. You, you know, it's, it's only Jesus. What do you mean only Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Well, he was, he's, he, you know, he, he was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Come on, he must have been born from some kind of lineage, some to the kingdom or some sort of ruler or some sort. No, he was born to a, a, a virgin. A virgin. Okay, this is getting interesting. And can you imagine, as you go on through the story, on the type of person that Jesus Christ was, he had no home. Foxes have homes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. And he was a great teacher. Okay, well, he was a good teacher. He probably taught a lot of great things. So where is he now? Well, he's dead. They killed him. Okay, this guy, which supposedly was God, came to this earth, had no kind of authority except for what he called himself. And, 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 he, and he was crucif- crucified of all things. Crucified of all things. Made a curse. And, and now you're saying he's in heaven? And you want us to believe that? Yeah, right. I don't think I can do that. First of all, you guys are all atheists. You only have one God. Maybe now two. And for the Jewish people to call Jesus Christ God, it was blasphemous. This is the message that God entrusted to ordinary people. Now, if it would not have been of God, it would have died. But today... I am able to proclaim that message. And this is what they said, that God is holy, man is sinful, the law requires justice. And my biggest problem is that I can't save myself. That God has to administer this justice. In Galatians chapter 3, we'll see this as we get closer to that chapter in chapter 3. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. You cannot rely on the law. You cannot rely on what, is, what, what I can do. What can I do to make it to heaven? Every other religion has. Here's what you should do. Here's how you can do it. Here's how many prayers you got to pray. Here's how much money you got to give. Here's how many journeys you got to take. Here's how many treks you got to go on. Here's how many doors you should knock on. And then, maybe just then, I spoke with somebody once that said, you know, I've always believed that if I just do enough good things, just, just enough, just enough good things, that God will yeah, just kind of lower the standard so that I can just kind of jump right over. Beloved, we can't do enough good things. And God is not going to lower His standard just for you or for me. And so whoever keeps the whole law James says, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of them. Has become guilty of all of them. How can God be just as he is and yet justify wicked man? How could he do that? That's why the cross is so important. Beloved, if you do not have the cross of Jesus Christ in the gospel message, you have not preached the gospel message. You have to reiterate, you have to continue to tell people, God is holy. We are not. And the law requires justice. And and that's a big problem because I can't pay enough for my sin. But God provided a perfect lamb, a perfect sacrifice, the cross. He bore the sin of his people and he was crushed. Isaiah tells us that it pleased God. It pleased him to crush his son, to crush him under the wrath of God that he took for my place. 
You see, where I was supposed to be crushed and humiliated and, and, and just left for dead, Jesus Christ took my place. And in suffering and in dying, he satisfied, he propitiated the demands of God's justice. He propitiated that justice and, and, and he took my place and he satisfied what needed to happen and made it possible to be just and able to justify wicked men. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives us a synopsis of what the gospel message is. <clears throat> now, we have studied 1 Corinthians chapter 15 before when we were going through 1 and 2 Corinthians. And we, we went over 1 Corinthians 15 and, and I talked in depth on the, the gospel message, what it entails, what it has, and what it, it, it is supposed to be and how it's supposed to be preached and talked about and, and explained and shared with your loved ones. Because like I said earlier, this message is a message that every one of your loved ones have to listen to, have to hear. You got to give it to them and you got to share it with them as if their life depended on it. Because beloved, it does. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. First importance. This is the most important message that anybody will ever hear. Some of you are thinking, well, I think the most important message was that, you know, we, we got a new president. Or I think one of the most important messages was that we have a vaccine. Or I think one of the most important messages would be that we have finally established world peace or killed hunger or whatever the case may be. This is the most important message of the first importance. And he says, what I also received we're going to look at Galatians once again. If you remember the last few weeks when we've been talking about Paul, Paul wasn't given this message by the apostles. Paul wasn't ordained by the church in Jerusalem. Paul wasn't uh, brought together with a bunch of elders and their hands laid upon him. Paul was given the message direct, directly through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says that Christ died for our sins. Why? Because we couldn't do it. Because God's justice requires, uh, requires justice. God's law requires justice because God's providence, God's holiness is, is, is the, of the most, up, the most important thing because man is wicked. And, and so Jesus Christ had to die on the cross for us, for our sins. And in accordance with the scriptures, if you go back and you read the scriptures in Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant on how he was crushed for our iniquities and, and he went and, and to, the, to the slaughter as like a lamb without any, any voice or anything to say that he was like a, a lamb before his shearers didn't say anything. And he had no stately beauty. Isaiah talks about this in depth. As a matter of fact, right after the crucifixion, right after Passover was over, there was an Ethiopian going back to his hometown in Acts chapter 8. And he was reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip saw him. and He kind of looked perplexed. Plus, the Holy Spirit told him to go there and say, go talk to this man. And he asks him, do you know what you're reading? He says, how can I? 
How can I read the understand what Isaiah 53 is saying? And Philip says, you know, let me explain it to you. And he started with the scriptures that he was reading that said this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And also one of my favorite stories is in Luke chapter 24, when the two men are walking from uh, Jerusalem back to Emmaus and they encounter this man and, and they ask him, you know, where are you going? He says, well, I'm just going down the road. I'm, we're going home. And he says, well, why don't you join us? And he, he says to them, uh, why is it that you're so downcast? And he says, well, haven't you heard? And he says, heard what? That, man, you know, you must be new or something. You probably didn't hear it, but our rulers, they killed the one we thought, the one that we thought was going to bring this kingdom onto this planet, was going to establish the justice of God. But they killed him. They murdered him. And Jesus says to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow a heart to believe that the prophets have spoken. And what, what Jesus did, he says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And he, what he does is he sits, he walks with them, and he has a Bible study with them. Because he says that, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. When we talk about the gospel, we have to understand that it is Jesus Christ that gave us this message, gave it to Paul, that gave it to us, and he had to die for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. It's not just something that happened. Isaiah talks about it. Daniel talks about it. Zechariah talks about it. <clears throat> We, we, we have it in the Old Testament and how he was in, in Psalm verse 20, chapter 22. If you go back, you can see where he says, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very words that Jesus cried out at the cross. And if you read the rest of that Psalm, you'll see that he is talking about his hands were pierced. His, his, they, they laughed at him. They mocked him. They divided his clothes by lot. And, and his bones were, were able to be seen. And it's a picture of the cross. All these things were prophesied about. And Paul says, this is what I'm handing out to you. Jesus Christ had to die this death. He had to. But that's not it. That he was buried. That he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, only the cross of Jesus Christ can save me. Point number five, only the cross of Jesus Christ can save me. Paul tells us in Romans chapter five, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Beloved, I was very ungodly. You think about that. And before you came to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, before God himself woke you up and gave you the faith to believe, we have to understand that, that it's faith it's, it's Jesus Christ, it's God himself that wakes us up, that causes this light bulb to come on. And then once that happened, he gives us the faith to believe. Because before that, we are dead. He revives us. He gives us life. Then he gives us the faith to believe. A lot of people say, well, no, I got the faith first and then I believed. That's your work. That's man-made work. When you believe that God is the Savior, that God, only by the grace of God, that you can be saved, not by works, you'll understand that it is God 
who wakes you up, who saves you first and foremost, gives you the faith to believe. For while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That was us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were sinners, while we were yet sinners, while we were still seeped in sin, Jesus Christ died for us. That's the cross. That's the message of the cross. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. And so when we talk about grace, when we talk about the cross, when we talk about the gospel message, people need to understand that God is holy. And that is the most terrifying truth of Scripture because man is evil. Man is wicked. There are no such things as good people. I hear this all the time. Well, most people are good, but they make bad choices. No, we're all wicked. We're all evil. And because of God's law, it requires justice, which makes it my biggest problem because I cannot muster up enough works, enough faith, enough anything to satisfy that justice. Only the cross of Jesus can save me. And you cannot be done with the gospel message without the resurrection. As Paul had said, of a first importance, I just want to tell you this, that he was that he was crucified, that he died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That just proves that he is God. 500 people saw him. That gives evidence. That gives confirmation. That gives us the understanding that Jesus Christ is God. He laid down his own life. He can pick it up. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, waiting to come back. He came as a servant, not this next time, he's coming as a king. He came in humility, but not this next time, he's going to come in victory. And he is going to deal with those that are not his. You, beloved, need to be a part of this change of this life and the resurrection and understand that this is what God has done for you. And so the very next question has to be asked. So what should I do? What am I to do at this point in time? In Acts chapter 2, when Peter had finished proclaiming and preaching this long sermon, they said, brothers, talking to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? And Peter said to him this, I want you to close your eyes, bow your head, and I'm going to play some music. John, play some music in the background, and we're all just going to sing and try to get you guys to, you know, just to feel good about yourselves, and I want you to raise your hand. No, beloved, that is not what Jesus Christ did. That is not what Peter did. He boldly proclaimed to them, every one of you guys are sinners. Every one of you guys partook of, maybe not personally, but vicariously, were a part of this crucifixion. Every one of you saw what happened to Jesus Christ. And every one of you need to repent right here, right now, and get yourself baptized and change your life. And change your life. Repent. Repent. Now, I don't have the time to share with you the full understanding of repentance, metanoia, changing the way you think, repenting, turning about and going the opposite direction. We have heard so many different uh, definitions of repent, which are all true. But I want to give you what the Bible says a repented life looks like. First of all, you must be born again. You can't be born back into what you used to be. You can't. 
You must be born again. You have to become a brand new creation. Because the old is gone and the new has come, you must be born again. And start off as a child, this time forgetting what the world has given you and understanding what the Word wants to do for you and wants to give you. Because the work that Jesus Christ started in you will see it onto completion. And if you're not continuing and completing the work that God has done in your life, beloved, you better take a very close look. If you are still the same as you were on the day of your conversion and before, then something is seriously wrong. Now, beloved, that is frightening news. You cannot be living like the world throughout the whole week. Anybody can fake it for an hour on Sunday morning. Anybody can. But how about when you're by yourself with your friends at work? Anybody can come on Sunday night and learn a little bit about the Bible. And, you know, temper his, his temperance. And, but, but what about the rest of the week? Anybody can say they love Jesus Christ and love God, but God says you need to prove it. You need to show it. Not to me, but to him. Do not be deceived. I'm going to talk to you next week on some of the evidences. But that's the gospel message. It doesn't end there. It starts there. It begins there. You're born again. You're regenerated. You're starting brand new. And now it's a matter of just growing. First, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Continue. It's a continuous effort. Continue to go and grow and develop. Are you growing? Or are you, have you been a Christian for 10 years and haven't grown? Then you're not a Christian for 10 years. You're a one-year-old Christian ten times. Are you, have you received this gospel message? Right now, if you hear this message, if it pierces your heart, if it touches you to the point of, man, what, I am wicked. I just realized that God is holy and I've been looking at God in such a different light. I thought he was just going to let me slide. If it pierces your heart right now, beloved, let the regeneration take its shape and form. Repent right now, not tomorrow, not next Sunday. Don't come back next Sunday. Okay, I'll wait to find out what repentance is. The Holy Spirit will reveal what you need to repent from. The words that you use, the the demeanor that you have, the actions and the acts that you do. Living a worldly, ungodly, wicked life while proclaiming to be a Christian. If this message has pierced your heart, I want to ask you to repent. And if you haven't been baptized, I want to ask you, to be baptized in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Give me a call. Write me a text. Send me a text. Message me on Facebook. And I will help you, and I'll walk through you. I'll walk with you through the next steps. But tune in. Come, come on Sunday, February the 7th. You know, it's, it's a big day. It's a super Sunday. Because it's the Super Bowl, of course. And many people are going to be gathered around their TVs. But that's not till the evening. I beg of you, you need to hear this message. And of course, we have Facebook. We have SoundCloud. And we have YouTube that you can also hear it from. But come fellowship with us, I pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this message. The gospel message has never been popular. And it's only through Jesus Christ 
This is why it's never been popular. Everybody believes and thinks and wants to uh, understand that they can do just about anything else. It doesn't have to be Jesus. But Father, you are the only way. No one comes to you unless they come through Jesus Christ. So Father, as we heard today, you are holy. We are not. We're wicked. Your holiness requires justice. And my biggest problem is that I can't do it on my own. That's why we have the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you once again for this powerful truth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Until next time, this is Pastor Sal from North Park Baptist Church. God bless you.